All right, here's a fact I'm sure you never knew. In Japan, you can rent a family. It's true, true story. Elderly Japanese who are isolated from their children because of the hectic work culture can actually rent a family to turn up for a couple of hours or to have lunch with them or to take them out to dinner. You just call Nippon Kokaisi Honbu, which is the Japanese effectiveness headquarters, and ask for a son, a daughter, a grandchild, whatever relative you want, actually. And that person will, at the appropriate time that you've booked them, knock on the door and greet you like a long-lost relative. Who's keen for that? Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Me neither. It's not a cheap service. It's not a cheap service. If you want to hire someone to spend three hours with your family, it will cost you over 1,000 US dollars. Um, now, so, so let me get this right. Satsuki Hoihi founded the business in 1990 when a businessman was too busy to go and visit his mother and so paid someone from his company to go on his behalf and they deemed it successful. I'm not sure how that whole deal works, but this whole company was formed as a result. And when she was asked, the founder was asked about some of her reflections on the business. Why was it so successful? She said, and I quote, what is common about our clients is that they are thirsty for human love. How about that? People are thirsty for human love. We know that. That's no surprise at all. People are thirsty for community. So thirsty they will pay for it. So thirsty they will pay for the illusion of it. Because as we've been talking about like a lot of last year and this year, something special happens when people come together. We need to be together. Something special happens and something extra special happens when Christians come together because we are better together. But we need to be really careful about this. This is something I've been challenged, especially in the last week. Being around people who are Christians isn't enough to call it Christian community. Because, well, you know, you've been around Christians before and that has not been Christian community, right? We know this. What defines Christian community is gathering together around the presence of God. That's what Hebrews is explaining in the reading that Aaron just brought to us. Scholars now believe for a long time they weren't sure who wrote Hebrews and they feel that now there's enough clues in the scripture and they've learned enough about the Apostle Paul to um, tie Paul's authorship to Hebrews. But in, in the book of Hebrews, he's talking about gathering people together around the presence of God. The reason why we meet on Sundays like we do is to be ushered into an encounter the presence of God. The presence of God has always been the central idea around worship. You take the presence of God out, take God out of the picture, and we are just a group of hopeless people. But Hebrews 10.19 says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and that doesn't make a lot of sense, does it, really? Especially if you don't know anything about the Old Testament. You read that and you're like, ah, I'm not quite sure what it's driving at. So let me, let me help with our thinking to make sense of this beautiful passage. Jesus lived about 2,000 years ago. About 2,000 years before Jesus came along, you had the people of God that were enslaved. and Moses was called to lead them through the Red Sea and out of slavery. 
they found themselves in the desert. And in the desert, they were about to die until God gave them a very specific set of instructions about how they can survive and then thrive. And it was all about worshipping God. And we have that in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and a whole host of other places in the Old Testament. And all of that revolved around the idea of the tabernacle. Tabernacle is a strange word. That's what the tabernacle was. Every time they set up camp, which would have been every few days or every few weeks, and they would have stayed there for a month or so, they set up a tabernacle. It wouldn't quite look exactly like that, but it's, it's not, not too bad. Once they inherited the land that happened sometime later, they got the land 40 years later after walking around the desert, they got the land that God had promised them. And they moved into that land, and that land is Israel. And as they moved into that land, they could, camp, they could not, not, not camp anymore, but set up house. And as they set up house, they created the, any guesses? Temple. Replacement for the tabernacle. This is the temple. Much, much bigger than a tabernacle. But do you see, you see the similarities? Now, every tabernacle, every time they set up the tabernacle, every time they set up the temple, there was a holy of holies. And this is the holy of of holies. That's where it was. It was the space where God could be encountered in his most holy state. People died going into the Holy of Holies if they hadn't done the right preparation. And the Holy of Holies was separated in both these spaces, was separated from the rest of the tabernacle, the rest of the temple, by a curtain. Listen to the instructions about the curtain. This is from Exodus 26. God's telling them how to make the curtain. He says, make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn and finely twisted linen with cherubim woven into into it by a skilled worker. Hang it with gold hooks on four posts of acacia wood overlaid with gold and standing on four silver bases and hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant, which is what God dwelled in, um, behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place place, the Holy of Holies. It was a special curtain, right? Special instructions. The curtain separated the Holy of Holies from everywhere else. The curtain was the barrier between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of people. Without the curtain, people would have perished because of their sin, but the curtain absorbed the holiness of God so it wouldn't kill people because their sin cannot exist in the same place as the holiness of God. And then Jesus came along. He became the sacrifice for our sin. That's what he did on the cross. He took our sin from us. He laid that on the cross. He died to that. And he opened a way for us to enter the presence of God. Now, I don't know if you know this about Jesus' death, But it says, I'm pretty sure it's in Matthew, it says, and the curtain temple tore from top to bottom. God destroyed his own curtain. Now, we're going to have a bit of play with this. I need a volunteer. Any hands? Riley, thank you. Good, come on. on. You'll love this. I'm going to move down here because I'm not sure about you, but I'm not holy enough to be in the Holy of Holies because we're going to imagine that across here is a giant half-meter-thick curtain. Because that's how thick the curtain was. So half a meter, it's going to go right up to the the ceiling, so you can't see in there. Now, can you just pop in there just for a sec? 
<laughs> Riley's just died. <laughs> right? You don't, can't be flippant about these things, Riley. Come, come out of the Holy of Holies. We cannot go in there. The high priest once a year could go in there, but that was the only situation and he had to do a lot of preparation to get through. All right, so we pretend there's a massive curtain there and God's on the other side of that curtain. God's God. Not, not, not God. You're a bit scared to go in there now? Maybe. Maybe, but uh, you should be terrified. You should be shaking in your boots, man. So Paul says this. Stay there. I need you in a minute. Paul says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, are you feeling more confident? Yeah, it's not, not really confident. That wasn't a confident. Like, yeah, I think I, think I should be. We have the confidence now not to be burned up as we go into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. How confident are you feeling? Can you? Oh. And he's, he's, he's all right. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Okay. The verse goes on, it says, by a new, you can stay in there if you like. Is it good fun in there? Love in the presence of God? Yeah. And how did you get in there? Through? Oh, good. Walked in through Jesus. I don't need the rest of the sermon. You've just preached it, man. So, so it says, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is Jesus' body. So when Jesus died, he became the curtain. So the curtain no longer separates us. Jesus separates us. And what does Jesus say? Come on in. I've dealt with your sin. Come on in. You're holy. In God's eyes. It's amazing. Would you thank Riley for being incredibly brave? Jesus has become the curtain through which we enter into the presence of God. When we meet with Jesus, we are invited into the presence of God. And to pull this off, Jesus then took his entire creation of the temple and he destroyed it to recreate it in Christian community. He recreated it around himself in Christian community. When Christians come to be together about the presence of God, it's the recreation of the temple. That's how Jesus cultivates community. And Hebrews then explains how it works. Verse 21 goes on, it says, and since we have a great priest, that's Jesus who they're talking about, over the house of God. And the house of God was never a house or a building or anything like that. It was a people. It was a community. We've talked about this last year. It says this, Let us draw near to God with this sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is a nod to our salvation and our baptism, that our salvation and our baptism give us the confidence we need to be in the presence of God that our sin isn't counted against us. Then he goes on, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And then thirdly, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good deeds. Jesus is revealing the rhythm of Christian community. Let us together draw near to God with a sincere heart. Let's move toward the presence 
of God. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Well, let us dwell in the presence of God. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good works and good deeds, toward love and good deeds. Encourage each other from the presence of God. So, to make sense of these three points, because this is how God's rhythm of Christian community works, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to tell you a story that hopefully will make sense and pull all of this together. A long time ago, I was in a small group. There was four of us in the group, so me and three others, and we would meet on a weekly basis to pray, to read the scriptures, to usually debate or argue some facet of theology, to talk about life. And I would have said it was Christian community. I would have said the reason we were there was to be about God and to learn about God and to explore. Now, one afternoon, out of the blue, I get a phone call from one of the guys in my small group. And he asked me to come out to his place and have a cup because he needs to talk to me about something. So I jump in the car, I go out. He was on a farm, and so we went to, um, went, went to the farmhouse like table and we sat down. And he starts to tell me a story, starting with these words. He said, God's been telling me to tell you this, and I've been trying my utmost not to listen to God. You ever get that? <laughs> but it's at the point where I have to tell you. So I brace myself. Come on, let me have it. He says, I've been addicted to gambling. I've been visiting the pokies every week, sometimes every day for the last two years. I can't escape it. I'm trapped in. I don't know what to do. I've lost nearly all my money. My marriage is over. I'm about to lose the farm. I didn't know what to do. And then he said, and this is step one, Move toward the presence of God. This is step one. Here's step one. He says, that was all until a couple of weeks ago. I was in church and you spoke and you said something that enabled God to meet me through what you said. And when God met me, I knew I had to change. He goes, I came home. I fell on my knees. I said, sorry to God. And the addiction left. Because I haven't been back. I haven't even wanted to go back. It's been two weeks now. In the context of community, he drew near to God with a sincere heart. He says, I haven't been to the pub since. I haven't spent a single dollar. Now, this is step two. Dwell in the presence of God. After telling me the story, he then phoned the other guys in the group and told them the same thing. He told me he shared openly. Because he knew it was the only way that he could get out of the predicament that he's in by having Christian brothers around him. He needed Christian community. He needed help to hold him unswervingly to the hope he professes. When he came back to meet in our group, it was different. We met the next week, the four of us, it was different. It was like we'd somehow fallen into the presence of God. It was like it Every word meant something and every word carried weight and God was doing something so significant and so powerful in that gathering. It was like we were meeting around the presence of God and we realized, ah, this is an experience of Christian community. And then came step three, encouraged from within the presence of God. See, we discovered the importance and the power and the necessity to encourage each other to cheer each other on, to share honestly where it wasn't working for us, to be vulnerable and to trust one another. 
And doing this in the presence of God, it created more hope for us and more strength. We frequently considered how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. You know, the greatest threat of belonging to Christian community is your own pride and shame, which the enemy will use to disable you from it. You see the gift, this beautiful gift of Christian community? People flee from it. They actively move away from it because they're terrified others will know their darkness and their sin and their shame and their guilt and all their junk. That's what happens. And Christian, but God already knows those things. Maybe a surprise to some of you this morning, but God already knows you more than you know yourself. And you know what? Your stuff is not much worse than anybody else's. In fact, it's probably the same in relation to God. And Christian community is about helping each other meet God, right? So, of course, we fear being judged because we're so self-absorbed when we're like that, when we were confronted by our sin. If other people knew this about me, what would they think? And other people are thinking, I want to help you meet God because he can heal you and fix you. That's Christian community. But we run from the very source that is there for us, the plan God put in place to love us and to accept us and to help us reconnect. That's what Christian community is. Our small group, we thought we were a Christian community because we were Christians who met together. But only the presence of God within that, that meeting can cultivate Christian community. God has called all of us, all of us, to gathering, to this gathering to be about him. That's why God wanted you here this morning, because he wanted you to be about him. Because when we're about him, and especially when we're all about him together, his presence is experienced. And when that presence is experienced, it then starts to spread. We had a conversation with somebody who's been met by God. They can't help talking about it. God wants to meet us here because we are here and we are about God. And God says, I want my presence to come into this place in a powerful way. As powerful it was, it was in the Holy of Holies. It is no longer isolated and cut off. It is for everyone. And God wants to move and wants to spread in this place. That's ultimately what communion is. Communion was the disciples coming together and looking at the table and going, every meal we have bread and every meal we have wine. They're the staples of our diet. They, they are always here, just like Jesus is always here. When we eat, let's remember Jesus. Let's welcome the Holy Spirit into this place. Let's make this meal when we're all together about Jesus. And they did that. That's where our um, cultural understanding of grace comes from. That every meal was meant to be a time set aside where we come together to be about Jesus. And we get to do that. As a, a larger family today, we get to do that. And so as we prepare for that, I'd like us just to step into a moment of prayer. I just invite you to put down your walls to God. Put down the things that you've held up, those things that you've hid behind. Just let God meet you where you're at. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come into this place. And meet us. Meet us now, Lord. 
Lord, there are things we are so scared of. We wish you didn't know, but you do know. And we want to bring them to you now and ask that you utterly disempower them. Strip them of their power over us. Free us from our secrets, from our past, from our mistakes, from our guilt, from our hurt, from our sin, from broken relationships, from bad business decisions, from opportunities that are missed, from never realizing you are the answer. Holy Spirit, come. Lord God, through your ministry now, minister to us. Minister exactly where we are. We confess that we don't need to be anything other than who we are with sincere hearts before you. And begin to recreate recreate us in your image. Begin that healing work in us, Lord.